This week's episode is brought to you by Communicore Weekly, the musical. The reviews are in. It's been called preposterous, dynamic, and fortunately, a musical. Thank goodness. Get your copy at iTunes, Amazon, and CD Baby right now. Welcome to Season 3! Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And we have some great stuff for you this episode. We're not continuing with our theme of the World's Fair thing this week. We're going to revisit that maybe in a week or two. But we have some other fun things. What do you mean, sort of? We don't want to give away the book of the week. Oh, well, I wasn't going to mention it, but now that you mention it, you kind of gave it away yourself. Oh, crap. George, you just ruined every surprise that we have for these nice people that listen to our podcast. Can't we just, like, rewind it or something? Well, we could go back and re-record, but then we're going to lose all this witty banter that we're having. Oh, that's true. That's why people like us, for our witty banter. Yeah, I thought it was because we were really, really, really good looking. Well, that's the first thing. And the second Ah. thing is witty banter. And good, then the good, third good. thing is also because we're really, really ridiculously good looking. Wow. So that could be on our respective tombstones. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's on my business card, actually. So, oh, I mean, that's, oh, God, I'm, I didn't think about that. See, see what happens? You should be thinking about these things at all time. Whatever gets you ahead in the business world, put it that's on true. your business card. It's time for Disney History. Okay, guys, so it's the middle of the day, you're at Disneyland, and you're hungry. What do you do? Well, eat something. You, yeah, uh, eat something, oh. obviously. But if it's from 1955 until about 1982, I have a really good suggestion for you. But only if you're in the mood for a tuna sandwich, or a tuna burger, or a hot tuna pie. Which, personally, none of them really seem all that appetizing to me, but... Yeah. Not during a hot day at Disneyland. Yeah, a hot tuna pie and a hot Disneyland day. Nothing says uh, magic like that, folks. So if that's that's right up your alley and you have access to a DeLorean or a TARDIS, then plan to eat at the pirate ship. And you can get food at their counter, which is below the deck, and then you can head for the table in Skull Rock Cove right behind the ship. Okay, so the Chicken of the Sea pirate ship and restaurant was a Disneyland landmark from 1955 until 1982. Although the name did change to Captain Hook's Galley when Chicken of the Sea dropped their sponsorship in 1969. Um, But when Chicken of the Sea still sponsored it, they had a really great slogan of Ask Any Mermaid You Happen to See What's the Best Tuna Chicken of the Sea, which I could have sing, sang, but I didn't. So okay. Thank you for not singing. Exactly. I know it's, it's part of our New Year's resolution. This, of course, fits right into a little story behind the ship. You probably remember that in the film Peter Pan, Peter flies to the pirate ship. He flies the pirate ship back to London thanks to his pixie friend Tinkerbell. Well, the pirate ship at Disneyland flew once before as well, much like its animated counterpart. Now, in, in Disneyland, the Nickel Tour, the uh, the fantastic book by Bruce Gordon and David Mumford, uh, they explain the flight kind of like this. Um, As construction of Fantasyland reached a frantic pace prior to the opening in 1955, it became apparent that there wasn't enough room left in Fantasyland to build the pirate ship. 
So space was cleared behind the Main Street Opera House, which was being used as the lumber mill, and the entire ship was constructed backstage. Shortly before opening, the fantasy of the flying ship came true when the Chicken of the Sea pirate ship actually flew into Fantasyland, courtesy of a nearby construction crane. That's magic, yes. folks. I was about to say the same thing. That's Disneyland magic. Limited so. time magic. <laughs> Only for people in the invited press can see the flying pirate ship. <laughs> that, that shoots fire? I'm just beating a dead dragon now. I'm sorry. Good, please. Let's do that. So, Okay, so although the, the giant crane ride is usually visible at one of the various Disney parks for one reason or anything, you know, basically today, back then, using a crane for something like that was a pretty big deal. And anyway, originally, the Chicken of the Sea pirate ship and restaurant sat in a simple pond. And in 1960, the pond became an exotic tropical setting from Peter Pan with the addition of Skull Rock. Now, the pirate ship was supposed to move a second time. In uh, 1981, work began on Disneyland's new Fantasyland, and as part of the plan to improve the uh, pedestrian flow in the crowded land, uh, plans call for the pirate ship to be re excuse me, relocated <laughs> to the Small World Promenade. And, you know, it wasn't as simple as just digging a canal and then floating the ship to a new location, because, I mean, that's what we would like to think would be sure. the easy thing to do. But that's mostly because we've been lied to, because the ship wasn't, it wasn't actually a ship. Uh, it was actually an aging wooden building, and uh, most of the wood at the base had been replaced with uh, concrete over the years to better withstand uh, sitting in the water of a tropical lagoon. Um, mm. So it wasn't a ship, unfortunately. Wow, full of spoilers. I know. Just okay. ruining all sorts of Disney magic for you guys out there. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so by the summer of 1982, the ship was sitting in a dry construction site, but the ship could not be moved. Bulldozers unceremoniously demolished the longtime landmark. Trucks hauled away the mangled timbers and chunks of concrete. And of course, Skull Rock didn't quite fit into this new fantasy land either, so it was also removed from its location. Dumbo the Flying Elephant actually sits where the former pirate ship and Skull Rock used to be. Now, although the pirate ship and Skull Rock had been gone since 1982, you know, the Imagineers didn't forget about it um, as much as they some people would have liked them to. Um, Disneyland Hotel is the old Olympic-sized swimming pool that was uh, demolished to make way for downtown Disney. So a new pool opened in 1999 between the hotel's three towers, where there had previously been a marina and a lake. Um, and the new pool was called the Neverland Pool, which, you know, obviously had a Peter Pan theme due to the name. And it had its own little version of Captain Hook's ship and Skull Rock. And they weren't as big or fancy as the departed cousins in Disneyland, but then again, the old Skull Rock didn't have a hot tub or a 100-foot water slide. Um... <laughs> So, I don't know. I think maybe the pool was a little bit better, but that's that's just me. Um, but unfortunately, that one was also demolished in uh, 2011 when they turned the Neverland pool into the e-ticket pool with the cool monorail slides. Awesome. So, if you want a full-size pirate ship, you're going to have to head to Adventureland at Disneyland Paris. Captain Hook's Galley is a counter-service restaurant, and it sits uh, adjacent to ominous Skull Rock, just like the long-lost original. Uh, sorry, though, there are no tuna sandwiches, tuna burgers, or hot <clears throat> tuna pies. It sounded like the... you threw open your mouth a little when you said that I, one. I just, I, I can't even fathom that. Why anyone would enjoy that? Or think of making it, or anything at all. Uh, Gross. Okay. Gross. Yeah, so, okay, so, all right, so, you can't get any of that at the Paris version. But what you can get are hot dogs, potato crisps, donuts, and ice cream. Donuts. M much better. 
much yeah, better. Yeah, much, much better. That's true. Okay, so Skull Rock is now in an area of Adventureland called Adventure Isle with caves, a suspension bridge, and a pirate lookout. Ooh. Ooh. Crazy. Um, <laughs> so the Imagineers who d- designed Disneyland Paris, they didn't really, they didn't just dust off the plans uh, for the original Skull Rock. They kind of had to create it from scratch um, because the skull itself now looks like sedimentary rock and it's upheave so that the layers are at a slight angle a little bit. And actually the inside of Skull Rock is a cave and you can actually look out through the eye cavities um, and you can kind of get this great view of Fantasyland and Disneyland Paris. Um, but if you're in Southern California still and you're feeling kind of nostalgic, you can still visit the pirate ship in Skull Rock, but only if you go on Peter Pan's flight at Fantasyland. Not not exactly the same, but, um, you know, it's close enough. What, what do you want from us? I'm sorry. He's a nerd. He's a geek. Because we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his beat. It's George's Book of the Week. Tomorrowland, the 1964-1965 World's Fair and the Transformation of America by Joseph Torella. Okay, so this is a book that both of us read. Uh, We received review copies, and I know that both of us tore through the book fairly quickly. And since this is the 50th anniversary of the fair, which you guys should all know from previous show, I'm hoping that we do see more being published about the fair. You know, most of the the current stuff, uh, the current works, are largely historical and photo heavy, which really isn't a bad thing. But, you know, everything that we talk about on Communicore Weekly, it's not always what it seems. Uh, Robert Moses, who's called the master builder because of the multitudes of projects that he created and saw through in New York City, which included building a bajillion parks, highways, and thoroughfares. Uh, He was the master planner and the force behind the fair. Uh, He was also known as much for his forward thinking with the city planning as for you know, destroying ethnic enclaves in the name of progress. Okay, but this book is more than just about Moses. Torella sets out to talk about the fair and the time period of 1964-65 in a way that is often not brought up. The bulk of the book wavers between Moses the f- and the fair, the civil rights movement in New York and the South, Beatlemania, and the development of American rock, as well as pop art and religion. That's a lot. That's a lot that's thrown in there. And uh, Tyrella definitely weaves these characters in and out of the fabric of the fair, and it never seems like it's being forced. It just, it really seems to make sense, the way he brings it forth. And I'll be honest, this book was a real eye-opener to me. Just like the 3940 World's Fair, most people have extremely fond memories of the fair and the time period. Uh, Torella rips off the rose-colored glasses of nostalgia and directs the reader to understand how everything that happened concurrently tied into the fair and vice versa. It it is an astounding set piece, so to speak, for understanding what went right and what went wrong with the fair. And a little caveat to the reader, Tyrella doesn't pull any punches when he describes the violence that took place during the civil rights movement. Whether it surrounded the fair or was hundreds of miles away, you know, still the tone is important, especially for those of us that weren't around during the time. Uh, There is coverage of Walt Disney and his contributions to the fair, including some discussions between Moses and Walt himself. And I know, Jeff, did you – I wanted to leave you a little bit of time in case you wanted to add anything. I did. Um, I got to say right (laughs) off of the bat, um, first of all, I really enjoyed the book. Like, really, really enjoyed the book. I remember I texted George immediately when I was finished going, that was fantastic. Did you finish reading it yet? And he said no, and I told him, okay, I'm sorry, but Robert Moses kills Dumbledore. I hate to break it to you. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, 
but I really enjoyed the book. And, you know, at first, like George said, it covers a lot of different things aside from just the fair, like the civil rights movement and, you know, the transformation of the music scene and everything. And when I first heard about that, I was like, that's a really bizarre thing to kind of weave into the narrative. But uh, Joseph Trella does such an excellent job of relating them to each other that it just seemed like a natural fit, how he went back and forth between all those separate things and the civil rights movement. And I was just really impressed with all the research he did and, you know, how he could relate it back to the fair. And it, it just kind of blew my mind, especially there were some tidbits about um, Robert Moses that I did not know before. <laughs> and it, it just, yeah. it was crazy how micromanaging he was for these super stupid small things and then these large issues he just didn't care about oh but um, yeah with with almost like almost many wars between pavilions yes that he was just over, like let them work it out yeah religious and political nature which really hurt the fair you know it's i think both of us we you know we both love this book and we'd recommend it it's really not for the casual disney fan no, you know, don't don't read this expecting to hear all about you know the the pavilions that the Disney company created. They're mentioned, and it's talked about how important they were and the most successful things. But this book really talks about that uh, almost uh, four or five year period with the fair and how it changed our values. And it's 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 great. It's quite op eye opening. Yeah, and, I mean, there's a lot of uh, political going ons behind the scenes before mm -hmm. the fair opened, while it was open, before the second season started, and. It's all like early New York City politics that really just kind of blew me away. Like, I, I know mm -hmm. that kind of stuff happens, but just having it all laid out in, in a timeline and you know, how, how things came to be and how manipulative some people were and how Robert <laughs> Moses got how what he wanted all the time. And it, it, it was a really, really good in-depth book. Um, and even at, for a, you know, if you're a fan of the fair, you need to read this book. That's basically oh, yeah, the bottom line. Yeah, definitely. I think anybody will enjoy it. A lot. So, okay, well, this one is called Tomorrowland, the 1964-1965 World's Fair and the Transformation of America by Joseph Torella. If it's a legend that you seek, come on and take a peek at the window of the week. Kingdom Photo Services, Magic Eye to the World. Rennie Bardot, Photographer, Archivist. Now this window was located above the Main Street Photo Supply Company in Disneyland, and it pays tribute to Rennie Bardot, whose name is on the window. Uh, now Rennie was a photo archivist and the chief photographer of Disneyland for close to 40 years, and he started in 1959 after spending five years in the U.S. Navy as an aviation photographer. After there were no internships available at the Los Angeles Herald Examiner, Rennie took a summer photography job at Disneyland. He eventually became full-time in 1964 and earned the title of Chief Photographer in 1975. During his time there, he took over a million photos, including the iconic image of Walt Disney walking through Sleeping Beauty Castle during an early morning. He retired in 1998. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. <laughs> Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin is filled with great little sight gags and nods to the cartoon world. Uh, but there are also some references to uh, other Disney films in there. Uh, for example, when you get into the Ink and Paint Club uh, portion of the queue, you'll find a bulletin board. And on one of the papers, it says, Lost, One Magic Feather. If found, please contact Dumbo, care of Timothy Mouse, Walt Disney Studio, Hollywood, California. Of course, this is a reference to the Disney film Dumbo and his magic feather that helps him fly, although 
Spoiler alert, as we find out at the end of the film, the feather was never really magical to begin with. It was all in his mind, and Timothy was just telling him that to give him a reason to fly. So I guess he just kind of wants it back for sentimental reasons. But well, of course, who, who wouldn't, right? I, I would want the magic feather back. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's a reward. <laughs> we could go find a feather and mail it to and him. Just mail it to Timothy Mouse, care of Walt Disney Studios, Burbank, <laughs> California. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I mean, I guess if you do mail something to Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, California, it's going to get there. I can even hand deliver it if I really wanted to. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I felt us, like I was rubbing it into you. I'm sorry. All how close you live now to I'm Disney. So stuff. Sorry, George. I didn't mean to make you upset. <laughs> I am so it's, sorry. It's not making me upset. No, no, not at all. Not at all. He says would, with a hint just, of iron. I just, I just wouldn't open up any strange packages mailed to Jeff Heimbuck at the mansion anytime soon. Fair enough. So, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. All right, guys. Well, everybody, thank you so much for watching and listening un- to another one of our episodes. Please be sure to leave us a comment and give us a rating on the iTunes. We love reading what you guys have to say. Oh, yes, we do. And make sure you email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. Yep, and follow us, uh, both of us, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And, of course, you can always call us on the Communicor Weekly GOAT line at 424 785 Four six two eight. We want to have another voicemail back episode soon, so give us a call, leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you, and maybe get a button because they're fun. Ooh, that's right. We still have some buttons left over. Yes, and we do. don't for don't don't forget that you can still download Communicore Weekly the musical, and don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Amazon or CD Baby, or even after you've listened to the musical and tell and you know call us on the goat line and tell us how much you loved it there yes and we we will be having the karaoke contest soon it's not a joke we're actually going to do that yes 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 yes, we are stay tuned for that one (laughs) well for jeff heimbuck i'm george taylor and for george taylor i'm jeff heimbuck thanks so much for listening guys and girls we'll see you next time on communicore weekly the greatest online show pon pon pon